There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, this is Megan Cloherty. And Luke Garrett, hosts of WTOP's new daily podcast, The DMV Download. We don't officially launch until April 19th. But we couldn't wait to share this episode with you as an exclusive early release because we're breaking down new information on one of the biggest stories of the year. We're eager to hear what you all think about it, and we can't wait for you all to join us every afternoon on this show. It's Tuesday, April 5th. Inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Learn how Steamfitters can benefit your business at steamfitters-602.org. Remember the January backup on I-95? It left drivers stranded for 24 hours. We break down a new report detailing what happened. It is a logistical nightmare. And now that we know what caused the massive traffic jam, what are lawmakers doing to make sure it doesn't happen again? Thanks for joining us. I'm Luke Garrett. And I'm Megan Cloherty. It was the biggest story of the new year. On January 3rd, what started as a backup on I-95 quickly turned into the worst traffic event our region has ever seen. Hundreds of drivers were trapped for more than 24 hours, pleading for help on social media to be freed from what we now know is a 48-mile backup. But emergency responders were not able to get to them, blocked by jackknife semis who lost control on the icy roads. There's a lot to unpack about what happened and what didn't happen. Now we're getting our first answers. The Virginia Department of Transportation, along with the state's emergency management department and state police, released a report detailing the cascading events that led to a huge backup. WTOP Traffic's Dave Dildine joins us now to break down what we need to know from this report. The number one question for me is why didn't they close the highway and open up the express lanes? So that we'll get to that, though. I wanted to start with the fact that this whole thing started because of weather. So we had this really warm day the day before and actually into the morning of January 3rd. And then the temperatures plummeted. And it may seem like an obvious question, but I feel like it's where we need to start with this. How did the weather contribute to the road conditions? The weather contributed to a false sense of security when it came to the travel conditions on Ah, 95. It lulled everyone into a false sense of security. Everyone's guard was down. We had temperatures in, uh, I believe, the 60s the day prior. Yeah. We had a bunch of folks who were coming out of a long winter break, coming back home, and not really thinking in terms of severe winter weather travel. When the snow started to fall, the pavement chilled very quickly, the dominoes started to fall from there. And and wasn't that why the roads didn't get treated too? Or they weren't treated like they would have been maybe? Absolutely, yeah. There was, uh, I believe, an inch of uh, liquid equivalent prior to the transition from mm-hmm. rain to snow. They can't pre-treat when there's that much rain preceding the snowfall. And even if they did, that would have just washed it away completely. Absolutely, yeah. Right. Yeah, pre-treatment is out of the question. Right. And so separate from the literal meteor- meteorological storm that we had, there was also a perfect storm in terms of traffic. Can you talk about the traffic conditions that kind of precede and led up to this nightmare. We're talking about I-95 at the end of a big holiday. This is not a little piddly (laughs) uh, small farm to market road. This is one of the busiest interstates in the country. Commercial traffic, vacation traffic, and some commuters as well as deliveries. Mm -hmm. Uh, The stage was set 
for a worst case traffic scenario. The night before, I had a really bad feeling mm. that we were going to see another Carmageddon event. It happens around here. It happens elsewhere. This was the worst of the worst case scenario, what happened on 95 on January 3rd, January 4th. Uh, but we, we saw indications that it was possible the day before. The National Weather Service anticipated the possibility of what happened. I believe the DOTs recognized that chance. Mm. The report does detail some shortcomings in the response. Yeah, let's turn to the report. Why did VDOT say that they didn't close I-95 you know, earlier? Remember, when we say close, we're talking about the implication here is that it's going to be an hours-long process. And they don't take closing at interstate lightly, especially not I-95, where so much valuable commerce happens and so many people need it. In addition to that, the snowfall bullseye was Stafford County, Quantico, Fredericksburg. This is an area that is very constricted and limited as it is. These are very complicated decisions Mm -hmm. that need to be made. And I I, I think it, it, it is not at all obvious to the layperson. These are these are things that require time to play out. It just to me is like I get that closing 95 would be an incredibly huge decision. But when you have a 40 mile backup and people are continuing to get on the highway, did the report say anything about if there was consideration about blocking exits so people couldn't get on? Or What is your take to that? I'm interested in that as well. Well, from a traffic management perspective, uh, there wasn't a lot of situational awareness because of the uh, power outage limiting VDOT's ability to understand exactly what was going on. Uh, There were multiple vehicles that were stuck that they were aware of, but there were many more that they were late to become aware of. Mm. You can't necessarily close 95 and not have an alternative for people who were stuck. Route 1, the situation there initially was very unknown. And by the way, the express lanes only extend southbound at about mile marker 143. The majority of the uh, grief and bottlenecks were well south of there. So the express lanes, in addition to not being a means of evacuating people or facilitating movement on the interstate, they were also being reserved for the movement of emergency equipment. And that became more and more important Mm -hmm. as the event unfolded. So the express lanes were off the table for a number of reasons. And you were seeing this all unfold from the traffic center and you were, you know, talking to people that were getting trapped in this. Can you take us back to that moment and what were you seeing? And during that moment, what was going through your head? We fielded so many calls. We take calls from people in the traffic center who are beside themselves, exasperated by the worst Mm -hmm. backup of their lives, but little did they know the same kind of backup happened the day before. What happened on January 3rd and 4th was another level. Um, Very seldom do we hear from people who are literally crying out of options, out of time, and desperate to get moving even an inch or two forward. And some of these stories, I mean, it almost you were like playing therapist a little bit. Some of these stories that people just need to like talk to somebody because they have kids in the car or they haven't gone to the bathroom or they have no water. I mean, very, very basic needs. Yeah, I was left haunted uh, the day after. And um, I, I still think back to some of those calls and I'm grateful that nobody was seriously hurt. One of the items in the report is titled, Why Didn't Anyone Tell Anyone How Bad the Traffic Was on 95? And I'm waving my hand, hello. (laughs) We were were basically wall to wall for two days straight trying to tell people to avoid it. Um, And uh, we we created a sounder uh, that uh, exemplified our best efforts to convey the seriousness, the gravity of the situation. 
Do you think there was a disconnect between what was happening? I mean, you touched on this because of those power outages that they were seeing. Was that disconnect from what was happening to the understanding of officials that made it worse? I mean, I think people don't understand why they couldn't get in there and help and evacuate people. But it was really a logistical nightmare as well, because a lot of these spans, it's not like you could just walk off the roadway and go to, you know, the 7-Eleven or go to somebody's house and ask for help. You're stuck there. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Three inch per hour snowfall rates that will cripple a transportation network by itself. All right. This is a very limited access section of I-95. Some of the exits in the hardest hit areas where the bullseye of snow fell, by the way, over 12 inches in a few short hours. Some of the exits are spaced out by more than eight miles. Mm. So you can't just snap your fingers and close I-95 when it's at capacity and mm-hmm. snow covered. Uh, when you have exits that are spaced out that far, you have stuck vehicles. The plows can't get through. There are no cameras because of the power outage. The emergency incident responders can't even advance up the shoulders because of people clogging the shoulders. It is a logistical nightmare, and it is nothing simple to resolve. Mm -hmm. To untangle that knot would take hours even in the best of circumstances. Mm -hmm. This was a worst-case scenario. So I think we're... When we're, you know, it's it's very easy to get emotional about it, especially if you were personally involved in it, and and rightfully so. Yeah. But nature happens sometimes, and I know I, I, I a lot of people don't want to accept that as as a reason, but that really was the main reason why drivers were so bad off was because of the extreme snowfall rates. This was not a major storm; it was just a big snowstorm that happened at a terrible time, right? Mm. And consistently, because basically, if you're stuck and then you have snow falling around you. And it's just building up. I mean, you see those videos, people trying to lurch forward and they can't. Yeah. Yeah. Once traffic grinds to a halt for one tractor trailer that's jackknifed at a snowfall rate that precipitous, um, it's going to pile up between your wheels. The smaller cars are going to stall. People are going to start getting desperate, driving on the shoulders. The mm. shoulder, and it's just a chain reaction. Right. And the plows can't get through. And when that plays out over long expanses of highway with very little access, mm-hmm. like 95 in Spotsylvania County, for instance, or Stafford for that matter, Uh, you're going to end up with a situation like what we saw. And so after reading this report and thinking outside the realm of the weather, which we can't control, what's your biggest takeaway of the things we can control moving forward? What are steps that VDOT uh, and just us personally as drivers could do to maybe be more aware so we don't get stuck in a situation like that again? Yeah. So this is it's a touchy subject, but uh, personal responsibility does factor in. I want to say there were shortcomings. There were shortcomings in the response, especially after the storm. But during the snowfall, if you're a driver and you're driving a distance and there's a forecast of a storm, it really is your responsibility to know how severe that winter weather uh, could affect you. Um, and uh, I know it's hard for a lot of people to, to understand. A lot, the, the average person they see snow in the forecast and they think, well, you know, maybe I can get through it. I've got four-wheel drive. Well, you know, it doesn't – your four-wheel drive, you could be driving a Hummer. You could probably be driving a tank and you would have been stuck <laughs> on 95. And it's, it's true. Yeah. You wouldn't, there's no capacity left. You can't get through. You're walled in by Jersey walls and you've got snow piled up in your wheel wells. You're not moving. But the forecast was, was pretty good uh, 24, 36 hours in advance. And uh, there's a big difference between three inches of snow in 24 hours and three inches of snow in one hour. There's Mm -hmm. a huge difference. We almost need a different word. 
uh, something upgraded from snow to convey the seriousness of that right. when you're traveling, because obviously that message did not get through. So we're here with WTOP's Dave Dildine, and we're breaking down this recent report released by the CNA on what happened on January 3rd when hundreds of drivers were stranded in a snowstorm on I-95. And what we're really trying to figure out from this report is what more could have been done and when? You know, the knee-jerk reaction after a lot of these storms is to point the finger. And the usual scapegoat is the National Weather Service. In 2011, after Carmageddon, it was OPM. There are a lot of people who want to say heads should roll in the government. It's massive dysfunction, you know. And there were shortcomings. Truly, there were shortcomings. But there were a lot of civil servants who went above and beyond in trying to help people who were in a bad place. Mm -hmm. I think what the report doesn't really address, though, is the specific nature of what went wrong in the response in the day and and particularly the day and a half later. Mm. You know, for instance, why did it take so long for a wireless emergency alert to go out? Uh, Why was the communication at times throttled and uh, unsympathetic? Um, You know, was that some administrative or bureaucratic background, you know, politically motivated? We don't know. We don't know. Um, But I do think that's one of the key takeaways from the report is 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 more empathy. Yeah. For 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 the seriousness of the situation at hand and the drivers who were sitting for so, so long. So what I'm like hearing from you, Dave, is that really the communication efforts on the part of these public transit agencies could have been a, a little bit better and that might have helped more people like during this nightmare of traffic? In real time, that would have been offering some reassurance. And uh, although information was limited, they didn't have much to work with. If you're a PIO, you can't just make things up, pull things out of the ether. But you can have some sympathy for uh, the drivers who are enduring a, a hardship. I think in terms of deployment of resources, we learned that VDOT, most of the districts were um, operating in a level four out of five plan, given the nature of this storm, not uh, one of the record breakers of the century. Um, That seems like it, going into it at least, that that was adequate. Mm. Um, Obviously, hindsight is 20-20 and a level five would have been ideal, but going (laughs) into it, um, that, that makes sense. And uh, as far as specific breakdowns in communication and opportunities for improvement with the recovery, uh, the report spells those out vaguely, but uh, I think there are still some open-ended questions. Ultimately, figuring out where the communications were being perhaps pulled back for reasons other than just uncertainty would be a good question, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm. There, there should have been more, and, and CNA and their report spells it out, there should have been more frequent communication. And so I think we can at least expect that in the future. It's a good place to end it. Dave, thank you for your expertise and for relaying what we found from this report, which was a pretty long one, 41 pages. So we appreciate your time and, and analysis on that. You bet. Anytime. Coming up, now that the report on the Nightmare 95 is out, what are politicians doing to make sure this doesn't happen again? Turns out, the ball is in Governor Yunkin's court. If you want to save money and grow profits on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project, go with the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. 
you can trust the experience of its workforce, members who have expertise in heating, air conditioning, refrigeration, and process piping to deliver work that's on time and on budget. For a partner you can trust who's mutually focused on your bottom line and to schedule, contact Steamfitters Local 602 at steamfitters-602.org. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. So we know what happened on 95 on January 3rd and 4th. Now we're going to talk about what's being done to ensure history doesn't repeat itself. We now turn to WTOP's Luke Lukert, who has been hearing from Democratic Representative Abigail Spanberger. So, Luke, she represents Virginia's 7th District, which runs right along the portion of I-95 that got hit the hardest. What is she saying after this recent report? I don't think she was surprised by, just like a lot of us, we weren't surprised by what uh, we found in that report. But she was definitely adamant that the Youngkin administration take these concerns very seriously and implement some of the solutions that they mentioned in that report. Right. So the ball now really is in Governor Glenn Youngkin's hands because he wasn't in power when this thing happened. It was still Northam. So it's kind of like, here's this here's this steaming pile. Here you go. I mean, sorry, but (laughs) I I mean, what is he what is he going to do about it? Are you getting any idea? He released a statement as the report was coming out. I, you know, I'm sure he saw the report before it was released to the general public. And he basically said that since he has taken over, that he has increased the communication amongst uh, several of the agencies, you know, the emergency management agency, VDOT, Virginia State Police, to weather, uh, as he put it, three other snow events since he's taken office. Now, none of them have been quite as big right. as the uh, the last one. But I, you know, I, I do think that he is taking it seriously. And from what you've been seeing as you cover all these politicians, is there some political finger pointing going on? Or do you get the sense mm. that there's kind of a bipartisan effort to get this solved and make sure it doesn't happen again? I mean, when is there not <laughs> finger pointing? Uh, I think, uh, you know, the first part of his statement basically said the previous administration really basically bungled this. Mm-hmm. So obviously some finger pointing and, you know, possibly deserved finger pointing, according to the report, deserved finger pointing. And as far as a bipartisan effort, Spanberger and Yunkin don't really work together necessarily, but both want to find the solution to make sure this doesn't happen again. That's my question, because, yes, everybody wants to do something about it. And obviously no one wants that to happen again. But there's certain things that were completely out of their control, like the weather. Right. So what do you, yeah. how do you legislate your way out of that? I mean, how do you did Spanberger say anything about what they would actually do? She did say that it was obviously a perfect storm of, of disasters, but that hopefully state agencies do some things that might be preventative measures to make sure it doesn't happen this horribly. One of the things that she really was pushing for was just clear messaging to drivers saying, stay off the roads. And and there was kind of weak messaging when it was first going out, like, if you have to go, just be careful. And, and instead of saying, this is going to be really, really bad, stay off those roads right now. Yeah, somebody's thinking, but I really need a gallon of milk, and they don't realize they're getting on a highway and going to spend 24 hours there. Right. Yeah, and I, I was out on snow patrol that morning, and I remember going out at 5 a.m., and it was raining, and I was like, this is so stupid. Why are they <laughs> sending me out on the snow patrol? Right. It was 70 degrees yesterday. There's None of this is going to stick. 
And then it took me four and a half hours to get back to D.C. from Waldorf. So, Right. And in the days following this nightmare of traffic, you actually covered a story where someone on the back roads near I-95 was actually trapped in their home when this woman went into labor. Um, You know, that was one of the stories that came out of this whole storm that really, you know, stayed in my mind. Can you tell us about that story and if you've caught up with them and how they're doing? Yeah. So I talked to them a week after the snowstorm. And basically what had happened was this family lives on kind of the boonies, as they like to call it, in Stafford Mm -hmm. County. And the wife went into labor at, I believe, 5 p.m. that day. And the husband said there must have been 30 trees that were down in his road. And these firefighters crawled through these trees, cut these trees up, Wow! went through power lines to get to the house, said, there's no way we're taking you back out that way. That is so dangerous. And they kind of figured out that they could hike through their backyard, through their neighbor's yard into another street that was clear about a quarter mile while, in while, this, while this woman has contractions two minutes apart. Unreal. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, hopped in the, the ambulance and then husband actually had to go back to the house and couldn't even go with the wife because they had three kids at home. Crazy, crazy story, you know, kind of like a, a Viking pregnancy. I was going to say, <laughs> it sounds like a TV trudging show. Through the snow. Yeah. And yeah. the baby, every, baby and mom are okay? Absolutely. They're wow, doing great when good. I talk to them. So. Wow. Just one, what, I, what I'm sure is a number of just crazy stories because this thing had such a ripple effect. Yeah, yep, it really yeah. did. Well, Luke, thank you for uh, catching us up on Politician's Response to this report. Absolutely. Take care, guys. And that's it for us today. This podcast is produced by me, Megan Cloherty. And me, Luke Garrett. Our managing editor is Craig Schwalb, and our music was created by Real World. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Check in throughout your day for the latest news, traffic, and weather at 103.5 FM in the D.C. metro area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, the WTOP News app, and WTOP.com. Have a great night, everybody.